Hey guys, Hide and Seek is now on Patreon. If you'd like to learn how to support the work we do, please visit www.patreon.com backslash Hide and Seek Podcast. For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive rewards. Rewards include live events, early access to video trailers, ad-free episodes, never-before-seen videos, behind-the-scenes video and photo content, along with extended and never-before-heard interviews. My team and I would be honored to have you. Again, visit patreon.com backslash hide-and-seek-podcast. Thanks, guys. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The views and opinions expressed by guests on the Hide and Seek podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or positions of the host or contributors. Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Would you like to take a more active role in the hide and seek community? Would you like to share your thoughts with other listeners? Join us in the hide and seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. You can find us by searching hide and seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Material heard on the Hide and Seek podcast is intended for adult listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Sweet dreams are made of this. 24 Hour News aides Brady Gillum went to Sturgis tonight to speak with the missing woman's mother about what may have happened to her daughter. I can tell you where she most likely is. I hadn't seen anybody that I felt comfortable saying anything to until today. The stories they tell are pretty fun. They're pretty freaking gruesome. I kept all the text messages, Facebook messages, the messages between me and Brittany. I have all of them. I have everything. I told him, I said, I'd kill all them motherfuckers, and I was going to have my people fucking take care of it. I'll just say Britain's name out of nowhere just to see what somebody says. Because this little town around here would be hard to hide something like that. Because eventually everything comes out. To me, some days I don't believe anything happened to her. I think she's in slow. This is Hide and Seek, Season 3, Part 3. The final chapter. I'm your host, James Basinger.
Hey guys. Last week I introduced you to a man named Laurent, whom I interviewed. He claimed to have helped Brittany escape town. What was she running away from? Eric. Laurent mentioned giving Brittany one of his burner phones and some cash. A hundred dollars. He even claimed that they communicated two years ago and that she may have been pregnant and quit using drugs. Now, according to Laurent, she moved from Wyoming to Texas. How she got there, he doesn't know. When I pressed Laurent for more details about how he communicated with Brittany, he suddenly vanished. And as I walked away, yeah, doubts crept in. I couldn't help but wonder how much of a Laurent story was true and how much was made up. And to be honest, I have serious doubts about his authenticity. So what happens from here? The authorities will determine how they want to proceed. Last week, we also broke down Brittany's timeline. And I pointed out the key points in the timeline that I felt was necessary. We also meticulously dissected the timeline of Brittany's last known days. My aim was to create an impactful narrative that clarifies her story. Reflecting on the episode and the timeline, it struck me just how much dedication and effort have been poured into Brittany's case. We've either interviewed or spoken to each person involved in that timeline. This has been crucial in connecting the dots and filling in the gaps. It enabled us to trace Brittany's movements and gain insights to the key people and events surrounding her disappearance. There's one individual, however, whose silence still baffles me. No, I'm not talking about Eric. Zach B. The man Brittany wrote while he was in prison. His phone call with Brittany on the day she vanished is incredibly significant. It sheds light on crucial details. Her mention of Pocket's arrest, Ashley's role, and Eric's vengeful actions. But it's also a conversation loaded with ambiguities, especially when we consider another interaction. This time between Eric and Sheldon. On December 1st, Eric alleged to Sheldon that it was Brittany who had some shit for him. I spent the entire season wrestling with questions. Most unanswered questions seem to invariably orbit around Ashley and Eric. So, ponder this. Nearly every person Ashley has accused has had their say here. Except notably Eric. So let me leave you with this thought. Hypothetically. If I were Eric, I wouldn't stay silent while Ashley spins the web of chaos. If innocent, I would adamantly separate myself from her allegations. I'd tell her, unequivocally, to step the fuck back and stop dragging my name through the mud and to refrain from involving me in matters unrelated to Brittany. I'd proactively reach out to the authorities striving to clear my name and point out the inconsistencies in Ashley's account of my supposed visit to her house on November 30th. But remember, this is purely hypothetical. So Eric, silence. What does that signify to you? Okay, we've come to that point. 
part that I hate most. I've exhausted all possible avenues and questioned anyone willing to talk. Carefully reviewed the provided information and scrutinized every detail. I've thoroughly examined screenshots, made numerous phone calls, and read through countless case files. But at the end of the day, I'm just like you. I have the same questions and concerns about Brittany's disappearance. I have guided you through the available information and shared the interviews. Can we all just agree on one thing? Brittany didn't simply vanish. She was taken. Otten uses the term logical to describe how things indicate that Brittany might have been murdered. He says that once he sees anything that logically points to Brittany falling victim to homicide, we can reclassify Brittany's case to a nobody homicide. When we say something is logical, it means reasoning based on rational principles and adhering to the rules of logic. Logic itself is a branch of philosophy that deals with valid reasoning and arguing. Describing something as logical suggests that it is reasonable, makes sense, and follows a clear thought process. In the context of analysis or problem solving, a logical approach involves reaching conclusions or making decisions based on sound reasoning, evidence, and systematic analysis, rather than relying on emotions or arbitrary assumptions. If Otten were to spend more time understanding Brittany, he might see things from a different perspective. Her departure under those circumstances, improper attire, no shoes, bleeding, and calling 911 for help, doesn't seem logical. Her behavior pattern. Brittany was very active on social media, daily, yet she has been absent for five years without a word, even to her children. Given such circumstances, it's no surprise that Brittany's husband wasn't questioned for four years. And no wonder Ashley tampering with evidence is swept under the rug. I mean, who gives a shit, right? It feels like there's a lack of concern. I don't know if that truly reflects your feelings. I want to believe that those sentiments don't truly represent your viewpoint. However, many concerns remain, and we fear that they will remain unresolved. I'm worried that these files will gather dust and eventually be passed on to the next detective who has to play catch-up. You see, here's the thing. When I returned from Sturgis in June, I spoke to Otten about his stance on Brittany's case, heart to heart. When I asked him about Brittany's receipt, his response was, yeah, it's gone now. We don't know where it went. Neither does Ashley. The picture in itself is the receipt. The person who took the picture takes full responsibility. Ashley, explain it. I'm frustrated that JJ hasn't been interviewed, even if Ashley is claiming he is the one responsible for why that receipt was in her vehicle. Why hasn't JJ been talked to? In October of 2022, I asked Otten if he planned to speak with Eric since they hadn't interviewed him yet. Otten's reply was straightforward. No. When I questioned why, he simply said, Well, he hasn't spoken to you, so why would he speak to me? 
I must confess I'm concerned that no matter how much effort we put into how many red flags we raise, nothing will come of it with the ones that are handling Brittany's case at the moment. It's not just me. Brittany's family shares these concerns. Now, I want to disclose something to you. After giving it some thought, I've decided to share a portion of an interview between Ashley and a few other individuals. These individuals were not aware that I was listening, but I obtained permission to record the call. As we listen together, they will discover that the conversation was recorded. To provide some context on the current situation, Ashley has just found out about the release of episode 41. It's currently 1 a.m. for me and 4 a.m. for Ashley. In that episode, I revealed that Ashley shared with someone who then forwarded me the information that Eric had left her house around 8 p.m. on November 30th. trying to troll Eric when Samantha told me that Eric was talking to Otten. That was news to me because, right, Eric hasn't been able to talk this whole time. He hasn't said shit. So I felt very... I Hold on. I gave my source up. And she fell on the sword. Just as planned. When it was said that you didn't meet your polygraph and Samantha's bragging that Eric is going to go for his polygraph, that is the only reason why I said, oh. Did you know the fucking wrong for it? Oh, that he bought drugs with Jessica and they were fucking around, having sex and shit four days before the polygraph. And Otten even brought it up to Ashley because he knows he, he heard it before she did. Otten told me when I went into my polygraph, I think it's tested, but I still sat and talked to Otten for an hour afterwards. So I talked about just when he goes, yeah, I'm going to help you and I'm choosing a podcaster. I said, what? Did I tell you that? That's what he says. Are you serious? And he goes, Dad's serious. I was like, okay, I knew, but I didn't know you knew. Oh, and Jason, allow me to remind you. You broke our agreement. At the mention of her polygraph, Ashley quickly deflects and accuses me and Jessica of having a relationship. She claims this romantic encounter that I have with Jessica takes place four days before her polygraph. She thinks they're too drugged out and now there's freaking sex video and those two out around somewhere in an Airbnb video. Did you ask permission before you sent that screenshot? No, we had a... Okay, then why are you giving these two more respect than you're giving Ashley? Did you share it with James and just, you're afraid to admit it? I wish James paid you to fucking do it. And say who the fuck you shared it with. I share it with someone. I want to know who. I have their entire conversation. Guess what, Jason? 
So tell me, who the fuck has my shit? Who's sharing it with James? Which one of the two? Oh, yeah, somebody did give him rich conversation, too. You won't tell me who the fuck you shared my shit to, who has shared it not James. But if that was my verse, I'd be like, hey, Katie, I'm gonna go do this, okay? So be prepared. He, he did do that. That's... <laughs> Whoops. She slipped up. I did notify my source. Of course, I didn't let it come blindside. I told her that I was going to be releasing this information that Ashley would know. No, that's what I would have done. If I was going to tell a lie about you to troll somebody, I would have warned you first. If that were really my intention. Like, do you, do you, do you still think Ashley had something to do with it? Like, what else they share? What's coming down the pipeline? That, that's, you know? what that, do that's, we exactly, that's exactly... I messaged her and Eric. He said, under no circumstances should Eric ever talk to Basingham. Because he's bring shit to your home. Who, who do you have on that phone? Hello, James. Hi. Eric has had you blocked for how fucking long now? Just to run back and call a little bitch boy James guy? Because that was in the last podcast about how, oh, you and Eric must still be friends. Well, if you and Eric had anything fucking planned out, did anything like that to Brittany, you, Eric, JJ, all that, does he realize, does he realize Eric's around with all of you guys how fucking long ago? Tell me who the fuck you shared my shit to. You said all this shit out without my reason. Are you there? I find it quite perplexing how Ashley fails to acknowledge her own actions. She seems angry that someone shared crucial information contradicting her statement about Eric, considering it a significant red flag regarding Brittany's husband on the night she disappeared. However, it's bewildering to me that she feels offended by this while having done far worse to others. Do you remember sending me Kimmy Stem's explicit images? Did it bother you when you shared Jessica's unrelated information, which had no connection to Brittany? As you guys heard in this interview, Eric didn't take the polygraph test. Has he taken one since then? I would assume we would have heard about it by now, especially if he had passed. On the other hand, Ashley did show up for her meeting with the sheriff's office, but claimed that she couldn't go through with it. I have a few guesses as to why. My best guess is that someone was under the influence. This is just based on my history and experience. Nonetheless, the fact remains that Ashley did not take the polygraph. So, let's focus on getting these questions answered. Did Eric and Ashley take their polygraphs with St. Joe County? If not, why not? And if not, when will they? If there have been attempts to reschedule their polygraphs test, why haven't they been completed yet? These are reasonable questions to ask guys, especially for someone who relies on logical reasoning. I've tried a number of times to speak with Ashley and Eric, and they ran for the hills a long time ago. In a recent interview with Cage, he made a comment that struck a chord with me. Once you start calling Ashley scared, if you think you have your facts a little closer, she does. She'll shut down. She she's not worth like she she won't sit there and argue with you. But if she's wrong, if she's right, right, you'll never hear the end of it. You know what yeah, I mean? But if you yeah. can call her on some shit, she will. She'll shut down. She won't sit there and argue with her. You know, you know, whatever the case may be, you won't never hear the end of it. 
But if it's like something you want to throw in her face and she she only gets that way when she's she's pretty good at cleaning her shit. Don't get me wrong, you, you it's hard it's hard to catch her doing shit. But if you have that little bit of you know that I know I know what I'm talking about, feeling to it, that's when she kinda Yeah, because she's not sure if you actually do or if you actually don't. So there's a possibility somewhere and she's freaking out. I can attest to this. Ashley and I share the truth about claims she's made about the statements she's issued. Facebook, Reddit, YouTube. Ashley's fully aware that I'm here to challenge her assertions. That's why she shies away from any form of dialogue. Especially when she wrote back to me in Sturgis during my trip this last June. I even offered to meet with her and Eric alone. Her response? No. When push comes to shove, as Cage put it, she fails to deliver. What brings me the most confidence about my feelings towards Ashley and her role in Brittany's disappearance are the blatant lies Ashley spreads about me. The lie itself, I can care less. It's clickbait shit. It's knowing that she's lying that tells me you're looking in the right direction. If you're new to the case, oh, she's all over you like white on rice. Give her an ear, she'll take you down all the rabbit holes made known to rabbits. Once she loses control over you, she'll flip that switch real quick. I've received messages from followers of Ashley's online statements concerning me. Like I said, I couldn't care less. What others may not be seeing that I do, Ashley's merely repeating the tactics she's used on Rockford, the PI. He didn't go into her narratives and he questioned the source of her information. He doubted her inconsistent responses and sudden mood shifts when he pressed her. Based on their conversation history Ashley provided me, and also my interview with Rockford, I can confidently say, Rockford got distracted and got in his own way. What do I mean by that? The situation reminds me a lot of a biblical story, Delilah and Samson. How so? We find parallels to the biblical tale of Samson and Delilah. Just as Samson was drawn to Delilah, our protagonist, Rockford, is entangled in a complex relationship with Ashley. We see a connection, just like Samson was attracted to Delilah, Rockford is caught up in a complicated relationship with Ashley. Rockford is like Samson. His resources and connections offer him strength. His goal is to find Brittany. However, just like Samson, Rockford finds himself attracted to Ashley. Ashley, like Delilah, is a woman of mystery. She's thought to be involved in Brittany's disappearance, yet she's the one giving Rockford clues. Ashley uses mind games to influence Rockford, similar to how Delilah did with Samson. Rockford's relationship with Ashley becomes flirtatious. Ashley's flirty comments and Rockford's responses show that she has control over him. Just like Delilah used her charm to trick Samson, Ashley uses her charm to draw Rockford in. When Rockford admits his feelings for Ashley, it's similar to Samson revealing his strength. Rockford is showing a weakness, and just like Samson did with Delilah, this was used against him. Just like Delilah betrayed Samson, Ashley's mind games lead Rockford astray. Think I'm lying? Read all 500 pages. Throughout the season, Ashley's been online saying the same things she said about John Crimes. Basinger's in it for the money. It's all about ratings to him. He doesn't care about finding Brittany. He cares about fattening his pockets. Same story, different day. As John entered onto the scene, out of the goodness of his heart, trying to make right by the wrongdoings of another person who financially took advantage of a tragic situation, before John could even get started, Ashley put a stop to it, simply because John started his journey with Jessica. Makes you wonder how far John would have uncovered if he would have started with Ashley. Once Ashley knew that she didn't control the narrative, it turned into the well-known book, 
the crucible. You probably heard about this true story in school, aka the Salem Witch Trials. Characters like Abigail Williams found themselves in a corner, unable to control their own narratives. They resorted to manipulating those in power by casting accusations of witchcraft, skillfully shifting the spotlight away from themselves. 332 years later, Abigail's spirit lives on. Ashley can't sway John's narrative as she has with others, such as the private investigator Rockford. So Ashley takes a huge page out of Abigail's book and runs to Brittany's other family members, Greg, Madison, and Scott, and begins to weave a web of lies about John's intentions. Brittany's family, already harboring frustration towards Jessica, trusts Ashley. When Ashley insinuates that John is only interested in Jessica's side of the story and only in it for the money, they see John as a witch, manipulating the narrative to her advantage, just like Abigail did in The Crucible. Back when I met Ashley, she was off to the races. Within minutes of me reaching out to Greg by commenting on his Facebook post, she races to the front of the line, warning me to tread carefully. This is oh. not something we take lightly. This is not someone or up for grabs for someone looking for views or a quick shot to fame. That's what John Crimes is doing with it. To those reading this, interprets her actions as protecting her best friend or protecting Brittany's family. Once Ashley knew Jessica wasn't steering my ship, Ashley goes into full Delilah mode, just like she did with Rockford. The yoga pictures came, her charismatic personality out on full front, her cry for support and help, and how everyone's fucked her over. Was I supportive? Without crossing lines. Early on, I recognized what she was doing, which is why I created this recording, back when we started talking in June of 2021. For the people who wondered how soon I was looking into Ashley, here you go. I feel like I should create this now. <clears throat> it is August 2nd, I believe, or 3rd. It's 1.47 a.m. And I just wanted to say for the record that I believe Ashley Marie could very well possibly be a person of interest. I'm aware of how she's speaking to me on Facebook. Just wanted to be known now. With all the information that she has, I actually think that she could have something. Anywho. This was only days after we spoke for the first time that I had my eye on her. I recognized what she was doing all along. I kept this in mind proceeding forward because you gave me the vibes early on. You cannot be trusted, which proved to be the correct feeling. As months progressed and our investigation continued, my communication with Ashley faded. And just as I'm about to return to Sturgis in February of 2022, trip two, Ashley did what she does best, tries to soften the blow by getting in front of her shit talk about me. Damage control. Ashley messaged Brittany's Uncle Scott, telling him how she thinks I'm working on Britt's case for the wrong reasons. She says it's about money, knowing that it would absolutely piss off any family member if that were true. Her proof of this? Ashley tells Scott that she was approached by two sources and that the family needed to be weary of basing her. This was a ploy in my opinion. Attempting to ruin a good relationship caused more division. Fortunately, I developed a good relationship with Scott and Brittany's family. It was too late. Ashley was no longer in control. 
I want you guys to understand that I followed through on my word with Scott. He knew by my communication and efforts that we care. If you think I'd exchange my character and integrity of hide and seek for money and ratings, fuck off. Sorry, not sorry. You haven't sat at the table with Brittany's family like I have. I recommend that you look at where her family is standing and you get behind them next to the rest of us. There are no sides to this. What are we, middle school? It's all about Brittany. It's all about Logan. It's all about Nancy. I can't help but point out that Ashley chose to only notify Scott of this info that her sources relayed. Not Greg? Just like she did when she found Jessica and Britt's voice memos. She chose to confide to Scott, hoping like before, he'd believe her. Like when John first came on scene. Why was Scott her target? Why did she choose him to influence? Part of me thinks that she was scared of Greg. Did you ever find it odd when Ashley shared the moment Greg made contact with her? The timing of this occurrence, Ashley happened to be on the phone with Madison, Greg's daughter, when Greg called Ashley. Then, out of all the days of the year when Ashley and Eric aren't in communication, Eric decides that day is the day that he should call Greg? Just minutes before Ashley does? After two years of not talking to the cops, it was the night he contacted, I was talking to Britt's sister, Maddie, and I was telling her all this new shit that I had. And it was my first time talking to her. While I was talking to her, he messaged me and said, can you give me a call tonight? And I kind of panicked because I know Greg doesn't talk to anybody. I'm like, dude, your dad wants me to call him. I'm terrified. And she was like, well, he's not, he's not talked to anybody. Don't be scared. So I ended up just talking to him for like two, three hours that night. I have a hard time believing that this was all just a coincidence. I must admit, I'm starting to feel the same way Sarah does when it comes to that word. Speaking of Sarah, today is the last episode of season three. I interviewed her and asked a few questions about this season. I want to take a second and recognize her efforts. She played a pivotal role in the development of my podcast. Sarah began her journey with me as a dedicated listener, just like you, and has since evolved into a crucial element in my investigative team. You were the first person who had reached out that said you wanted to do the Facebook discussion group. I'll never forget. This is great. I'm still new to this. I'm still trying to figure out how to grow a podcast. Yeah. We had great success in season one, but I knew that there was a big you know, need in, in wanting to connect with the community. And so mm-hmm. when you said you wanted to start the discussion group, I said, okay, well, how much do you charge? And you, <laughs> you go, it's free. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I was excited for you to come on board. Let's start there. What motivated you to start these Facebook discussion groups? I think initially, before I got into hide and seek, I saw that there was such a uh, need for audience, listeners, whatever you want to call us, to be able to not only discuss the cases that were being brought on podcasts, but there are so many people who have so many great things to contribute. And whether that's directly case information, or if that's 
hey, I am a geophysicist and I can assist in this way. There are communities of people who have skills that podcasters, especially doing true crime, can use and they are willing to do that. They're willing to help for free. I know that the popular belief is that there's so much money being made. That is not true. So I saw this need, but there was no place. There was no place, like there was no central place for that to happen. Started a few discussion groups and they went really well. You're reaching such a large audience that, you know, Nancy's neighbor might have something to contribute, but she hasn't gone to the police. Logan's, you know, somebody in town, somebody he went to school with, whatever, may have something to contribute, but he hasn't really listened to a podcast and he doesn't want to get involved with the police. And here's Facebook. Millions of people, here we all are for hide and seek when we first started the beginning of this season you know we were under 3,000 people and now we're over 12 knowing that it had to be monitored there's a lot of people who get upset and are angry because they are no longer in that discussion group people are you know hit me up I've been a follower since season one I can't believe you kicked me I'm like first of all I'm not even involved but then two for those who are wanting to join or who have been removed who may listen to this and been like they don't agree let's think about this logically there are 12,000 people there are some people sure that I know because I've seen them comment repeatedly we've had discussions I don't know most of these people and I don't have time to hold personal vendettas against people that I don't don't know Um, what we're looking for is people who follow the rules do people have bad days yes do we have bad days yes but if it's a repeated problem or it's it's an issue that is really kind of over the top if you're attacking a family member no you're not going to have multiple chances to do that somebody said something recently that really resonated with me this is the hide and seek discussion group This is the group that you and I have formed for the Hide and Seek podcast. If you are not a listener, if you don't have positive contributions to make, if you don't have constructive criticism to contribute, then there's no reason for you to be here. So, and forgive my language, I don't go in your house and shit. So if somebody is going to come in our house and shit, you're not going to be asked to stay. And the woman who said that said it much better than I did. But that's really the crux of it. That's been hard for a lot of people to accept. With a group of that many people, you have to have some rules. That's just the way it is. We learned rules when we were in, you know, kindergarten. So if we can follow them when we're in kindergarten, we can follow them as adults on Facebook. You played a different role in season three than season two. Have your views on true crime journalism changed? Or evolved in relation to a podcast i will tell you i had absolutely no idea how much work goes into this the amount of work is i don't i honestly don't think that i could have ever imagined 
the amount of work that goes into this. So in that aspect, yes. In other aspects, you know, I have told you many times that I wrestle with my ethics. That has been a difficult for me. I am an advocate for victims, for victims' families. It has been hard for me on occasion to allow those conversations to be talked about. Those things were, in my career, were kept very, you don't talk about those things. But also there have been a lot of positive things. I have seen this season from the very, very, very beginning to where we are today. I have seen an immense amount of growth in you, but also in hide and seek. That's not something that I anticipated at the beginning. I that we would become such good friends. And I never would have anticipated that it came from a podcast. Just the growth alone. I'm very grateful. I'm honored to have been a part of this. I tell you all the time, I'm so thankful that you reached out to me and asked because this is an experience that, although has been really, really tough at times, like really tough, um, it has also been really positive seems like the wrong word, but it has been a really impactful, impactful journey. John said one time, he was like, Brittany, you know, I could hear Brittany when I didn't follow through. I could hear Brittany in my head saying, mm. fuck them, come find me, dog. Like, fuck that. Mm. That's what motivates us. Just imagine Nancy, Logan, Brittany at these times when I'm going through this and you you use that as well. I use mm. that as motivation. The criticism in this, I remember thinking and, and I remember knowing that you were going to have to go through this journey like I did. Season three. Like you said, your roles increased on the investigative side with hide and seek and helping me dealing with criticism and in, in being in the public eye, public eye, especially in true crime podcasting. How do you handle feedback from listeners, both positive and negative? And I'm starting with positive because positive is is a contributor to how I deal with negative. Um, I think that we have so many people who are supportive, invested, they care. And, and they not only care about the case, they care about you and I. They care about this team. I don't even know how to describe it. I get messages every day from people who are grateful. They are supportive, providing constructive criticism. They are, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even have words to describe the amount of support. And the sheer amount of support and positive words over the season has helped to wipe out a lot of the negative feedback. At the beginning of the season, it was very difficult. You know, for every 500 positive comments, there'd be one negative and the negative one is the one that would stick in my brain. I let that one, you know, out of 500 push me to do better because, you know... My dad would tell you, if my dad said I couldn't do something, watch me. Constructive criticism, I'm accepting of, but the negative comments and whatever, in one ear, 
and out the other. And you taught me that. You told me so many times. And I just thought at the beginning, I just thought, look, Jim, you don't know what you're talking about. It That's not the way it works. And now I'm like, okay, maybe he didn't know what he was talking about. I used to answer. I don't have to anymore. I don't have to. And that's another thing that you that you taught me. A lot of our listeners will respond for me. Frankly, they do a better job than I do. I, I don't give it any energy anymore. Listeners will say things that I would like to say. That shit sucks the energy out of you the soon the moment you give it the accurate attention, the moment you give mm-hmm. it the energy, it, mm-hmm. it will suck the life out of you. Like you said, you don't gotta say it, they'll say it for you. And yeah. uh, mm-hmm. what's your future look like in podcast world? <laughs> I don't know. I've done the missing minutes for Patreon. So um I will continue to do that. Um, missing minutes will come back. I have been encouraged by a lot of people to do a missing minutes mini series on Maura Murray. You might see Tad back for that. Otherwise, I, I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I mean, I, I guess we'll see if um you'll bring me back for season four, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. for those inspired by your journey from a fan to a key team member what advice would you give anyone looking to join the true crime investigation world of podcasting that's a great question don't be afraid do it it it's not going to be easy i will not lie it this podcast thing i don't know how you did it alone. It will be more work than you probably have ever imagined. But if you're doing it for the right reasons, it's worth it. it'll be worth it. I'd do it all over again in a heartbeat. That's all I got. Anything that you want to say to the listeners? Other than that, this is your last piece for the season. For the past nearly three years, I've dedicated my heart and soul to the search for Brittany Wallace. It's been a journey filled with hope, determination, and countless sleepless nights. I was driven by a deep sense of compassion and a desire to bring Brittany home. I immersed myself in every detail, tirelessly combing through texts, emails, and documents, following trails, and connecting dots. I became intimately familiar with her story, her dreams, and the void left behind in the hearts of those who love her. To Brittany's family and friends, through this arduous journey, I have continued to be impressed by your strength and resilience. I want you to know that my commitment to finding Brittany will never falter. My heart will forever carry the hope of her safe return. I will continue to support you in any way I can, whether that's a listening ear a shoulder to lean on, or a voice to amplify your pleas for justice. Your unwavering faith in James and I and your undying hope has been a constant source of inspiration. Together, we've formed a bond born from a shared commitment to never give up. Never, never give up. To Brittany, wherever you may be, I want you to know that you are not forgotten. Your absence has left an indelible mark on the lives of those who love you. 
what you have left behind is a legacy that's woven itself into the fabric of our lives. We will continue to fight for answers, to seek justice, and to honor your memory. I am filled with gratitude for the lessons learned, the connections forged, and the resilience I've discovered in myself. The search for Brittany Wallace has forever changed me, reminding me of the fragility of life and the power of community. To the persons responsible for Brittany's disappearance and the immense suffering her family and her friends will experience for the rest of their days, I find myself at a loss for words as I attempt to address the unimaginable pain and anguish that you have inflicted on those who love and care for Brittany. The depth of sorrow that consumes them is beyond comprehension, for you have not only stolen the life of their daughter, sister, friend, and mother, but you have shattered the very essence of their existence. Amidst the darkness you have caused, they have refused to let your actions define them. They have refused to allow your venom of hatred to poison their spirits, for they are determined to rise above the depths of despair. In the face of this unimaginable loss, they continue to summon the strength to honor the memory of their child, sister, friend, and one day their mother with love, compassion, and remarkable resilience. Know this, the pain you have inflicted upon them will never be forgotten or forgiven. It's a constant reminder of the profound injustice that has been done but they will not let your actions consume them. Instead, they will channel their grief into a force for change, a catalyst for justice, and a beacon of hope for others who have suffered similarly. In the vast tapestry of life, justice has a way of finding its rightful place. The universe, with its intricate web of cause and effect, weaves a path where actions have consequences and karma waits patiently in the shadows. It is a force that cannot be escaped, a reckoning that will come to pass. Though the wheels of justice may turn slowly, they turn with resolute determination. And when the time is right, karma will deliver its own brand of justice, ensuring that the darkness of your deeds is met with the light of accountability. In closing, I want to express my deepest gratitude to all of those who have assisted us and supported us on this journey. Thank you. Your unwavering belief in the power of compassion, community, and justice has been a guiding light in the darkest of times. Together, we have shown that even in the face of adversity, perseverance, love, and determination can clear a path to move mountains. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
as we conclude this season. I traditionally hand over the microphone to the family members for the final word. But before that, friends of Brittany reached out and wanted to share some heartfelt memories that they feel called to share. We're dedicating the close of season three, honoring Brittany, celebrating the joy and positivity she brought into our lives. Yeah, she'd come on the downtime so she could order a few drinks. She was a pool shark. She liked to come up and play pool when nobody was up there and kind of have her own space. And then, yeah, she was pretty good at pool. She used to play pool all the time. It was like her Friday, Saturday thing for a while. I didn't really like new people coming over, but I let her come anyways. And she came in and she was just like this bubbly. You know, really easy to talk to. She was super sweet. She was the girl I never had because I raised boys, so. She was about 12, 13, preteen. I would say she laughed a lot. Her laugh was actually pretty contagious. It's one of those laughs that catches on, you know, you laugh at it. (laughs) So this one night she wanted to come over, but things were pretty bad. And, you know, when they were that bad, I didn't really want anybody there. She decided that she was going to show up. She literally sat with me almost the whole entire night just to keep, you know, my son's dad from, like, screaming. And she was literally there till about an hour that he, before he left for work, five in the morning. Happy-go-lucky person. She's always dancing, doing her own things. I mean, she's a little firecracker here and there, of course, but... The girl cracked me up. You mean when she wanted, though, too. She was spicy. Oh, boy, was she. She didn't always care about what she could get from people or what she wanted. Like, once she actually started talking to you and got to know you, like, she just genuinely cared. Miss the laugh, miss, miss seeing the bubbly self. She was a beautiful soul. She had a heart of gold, and no matter the stories that are being told and no matter what's heard, she was a beautiful person inside and out. I mean, she would have done anything for anybody in the long run. Hall and I think a lot of what's been spread is a misunderstanding of her. She's a beautiful person. She would have done, she would have gave him the world, you know? She could have pulled herself out of it. She met my kids and she would just sit there and play with them. They'd have their toys out in the living room and watching a movie and she would sit there and rough house with them. That was who she was. She wasn't all this negative stuff that everybody's saying about her. She was 12, 13, and she wanted to ride her bike into town to go to the school to meet a bunch of boys, and I wouldn't let her. Well, my dad would let me, no. So she threw a major fit. She went in her room, she slammed that door, she tore up everything she had. She was, I hate you, I hate it here. And about 10 minutes after she went back in her room, it got quiet, and then all of a sudden, a little note come through underneath the door to the living room. I'm so sorry, Mama. I love you. Please don't be mad at me anymore. And she'd always just come up, you know, smiling and happy, and, but like, she had respect for people. I mean, she gave it all she had. She understood where I wanted to go, and I had to work to get my kids back home. And she was extremely supportive of that. Everybody was always trying to throw it in my face, and she never did that. She wanted me to pick her up at school, and I was like, okay, but the car's running kind of rough, and it was an ugly-looking car. It was an old rust bucket. And she's like, oh, yeah, you have the white car. Never mind, I'll call Grandma. I don't <laughs> want people to see me in that car. 
and then I got a Mustang convertible and she was all for it. I think even though the podcast may be ending and everything, I think everybody should still keep the support chain going. Push forward with the justice for Brittany. I mean, you never know when something could come up or anything could come out. You got to keep it alive. Keep her alive. Fantastic mother. Always talking about them. Always posting pictures with them. Always posting videos. Sending me all kinds of videos. She loved them babies. Them babies were her world. She wanted to give her kids the best life they could have. I had the privilege of interviewing Brittany's siblings, Darian, Victor, and Madison, and I thank them for opening up to me. When I say they become family, I truly meant it. Have you ever known me to lie to you? Darian. Um, at first I thought Brittany was kind of doing what Brittany does, kind of like to hop from one place to another and kind of go with the wind Mm. Um, and so she would always be in contact with say Eric or Daniel or my mom or me you know me and her were best friends it didn't matter like how much we fought you know like we were sisters we were best friends she would never just cut people off like if she was mad at me I probably wouldn't hear from her for like a day or two you know she was always in and out of contact with our mom so it was never something that was like this she would never just run away and be like all right bye like (laughs) and never contact you know her kids again her and Eric were really close her and Daniel were really close me and her were really close her and our brother her sister Madison we were all really close I shared with you guys Laurent's testimony before I aired it. So that that to you, when you heard that? I promise you, my sister, if she would be aware that you were doing this for her and she saw her name and all over, <laughs> my sister's not someone that sits back quietly. We'll be like, hey, I'm right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surprise, you know, and with a big grin on her face. Do you feel law enforcement's taking... No. No. Don't even have to finish that question. Okay. No. Yeah. Uh, Attention from, just not just from, you know, that area, but from nationally and globally, from all over that people have sent in letters. What do you say to them? I don't even know what to say. Because when I saw that, I was in shock. I saw people from, I think, Canada and Australia... So like out of the country and then almost every single state, I can't believe that people care about my sister like this. It's because of you and it's because of Sarah and you guys know how much I appreciate y'all. And I appreciate everybody that has, you know, showed this love towards my sister. And like, I, I just thank them and I thank you guys. Uh, you guys gave me the trust. I asked that from the get go. You've had it from day one. You and Sarah both. Your whole team. Me and my earring. Our <laughs> tandem. I've said this from day one because my sister would say it all the time. Karma's a bitch. Karma's a bitch. Their time's coming. It may not be right now. It may not be a few years from now, 30 years from now. Everything surfaces. There's people out here that care. 
She does have family that cares about her, her children. Her children might grow up one day and want to find out the truth. She has you, your whole team, everybody who loves her and has, we, we've all came together because of her, because of you guys. Their time is coming. Hmm. Their time is coming. I hate them for taking our sister away from us, taking a mother away from her children. I want answers. All of us want answers. We all deserve answers. I deserve, we all deserve the truth. They will answer it for one day. They will mm-hmm. answer it for, for everything. Do you feel like you have an idea what you what you think happened to your sister? I feel like Ashley and Eric have a pretty good fucking idea. Hmm. Victor. Hey, man, what's up? What's going on, buddy? How are you? Busy, dude. Yeah. You know, I'm working like three jobs, man. Trying to save up for this wedding. Now I feel like, yeah, we've done everything. We've looked. Yeah. We've, we've looked at all the areas. And these people mm-hmm. who are coming out now and saying what they're saying. It's a good indicator of that. That's why I'm at that point in the season where I'm at. There are lots of other rabbit trolls that we didn't go down that are just kind of off the wall shit. I think just like you said, there was so many rabbit holes. I mean, you went you went through and and it all came back to just really empty leads. So, you know, the fact that you took the time to, to go through all those leads, chase down so many so many empty roads, I mean that that says a lot about the effort that you put into it, you know? Something that nobody in our family was doing or had the time to do or could even at them so you know we definitely appreciate it with where you stand today with Otten the communication level what do you want to see have done I think on our end on your end we've really done everything we can do you know we've put I mean as as much as you can say evidence right in front of their faces they've quite blatantly just ignored it you know I think with Western Michigan now being involved i think that's huge that's awesome you know maybe we'll start to see some stuff out of that the nobody homicide is is going to be important for this case moving forward so that we can start to get additional resources i think that i think that'll help but also just you know take taking the case more seriously i understand that with some of these leads that that's been coming especially lately the, the leads that come in have no truth to them empty road after empty road when are we going to backtrack and do the things that we were supposed to do in the very beginning? Because there were a lot of missteps. We're never really accounted for, still haven't been accounted for. I just want clarification on, you know, what if what have you done so far? Why did we miss those steps? What are we going to do to retract? It's really hard to not look at the case and be like, well, everyone else is trying, you know? So what are you doing? What have you been doing? And that's not even to say that they're not doing anything. I don't want to make it seem like that. I know I think I talked to Odd once or twice, and that's just because he doesn't know me. Maybe speaking highly of myself, but I feel like I do communicate well. It's not like when he's talking to me, I'm giving him a bunch of bullshit. I guess two points. One is I don't want to target what they have or haven't done. But secondly, I really just want them to communicate. I was actually doing an interview for Wood TV. Guy who was interviewing me had spoken to one of the police officers involved with the case, mid-interview, 
you know, what did I think about Western Michigan now being involved? In and I was, of course, you know, for the sake of the interview, I carried on, but I had no idea. I mean, that's great. That's awesome. It's not that I don't think nothing's being done. It's that nothing's being communicated. So how was I, how was anybody supposed to know? But maybe they are, and it's just not being communicated. I don't want, I don't want to find that on the news. That's not fair. And that's not fair to the rest of the family too. That's not just myself. Um, Cause that's a huge step in this case. I don't think anybody, at least I can speak for myself, I'm not expecting like weekly or even a monthly update. You know, even just a, a call every once in, a, once in a while, every couple months, it's like, hey man, just wanna let you know we're still working on this. There's been no new developments, but we're still working on it. We, you know, we're, we're always having more interviews and following leads, you know, it just small things like that would be huge for the case. If I received one phone call like that in the past year, my perspective on how this case has been treated would be probably entirely different. I mean, it's been incredible to see all the support that we've had. It's no secret. Brittany had her flaws. She had her downfalls. She wasn't always doing the right things, but she still had the same mission to, to take care of her kids and support her children. To that point, you know, it came out that the, the whole community knew that it, at one point they knew all about Britain. So the fact that they still rallied behind her, uh, regardless of whatever demon she was fighting at the time, the fact that they were able to just brush that to the side and see the case for what it is and recognize that it's a mother, a sister, a daughter who went missing, and they all rallied around that, that's incredible to see. I mean, just the support that we continue to get. I mean, I look at this case now and I'll talk to a person and like introduce the case to them. And they're like, oh my God, that's crazy. I just heard about that case. I saw it on the news. You know, you hear stuff like that. I was, I was at work last week and someone mentioned it to me. Like, I saw you on the news. It's awesome to see the publicity that we've gotten out of it. So the community aspect has been, has, has been awesome. I think there's, I, I definitely have, you know, have my own opinions. I don't share them. I, don't, yeah. I really don't share what I think happened anywhere, especially on Facebook and stuff, because I just, I mean, there's so, there's so much shit out there. There's no reason for me to add on more. You know, it's, it's really unknown of exactly what happened. But I, I do think that if different steps were taken in the beginning, then, then maybe we'd have a better idea. You know, I love my sister to death. When we were little, man, she was always sticking up for me, whether it was, beating up Darian because Darian and I were arguing or her beating up somebody else, yelling at someone else because they were bullying me. Like she always had my back. She was always there. She was always so caring. You know, I miss her, but you know, those photos that I still have, you know, I cherish that said, man, I'm um, so, 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 so appreciative of the podcast. All you've done, all your team has done, the support that we've gotten. I do have to thank the investigators for the work that they've done up to this point, regardless of what I think, what other people think should have happened. You know, people still are working on this case, so still always appreciative of the work that's being put in. Absolutely. Every step mm -hmm. is a step closer. Yes, sir. Madison. Okay. What's up? Oh, not much. Just kids are fighting tonight. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You would have never picked up her case and looked into it. Her name would still be as it was. Yes, there's progress, but at the same time, no. Leads and information that you have uncovered, law enforcement aren't, like, they aren't doing anything with what you have brought to light. 
I don't even know if there's words to explain it. They have not done their job. They've completely failed her from the beginning because in their eyes, she's just another user. She was still a person. She still had a family. Oh, sorry. You're right. Take your time. Sorry. Should really be ashamed of themselves. If it were anybody else, something would be done. They they have left us with no answers. Not that any of it is going to make it any easier. They aren't giving her the justice, even with as big of a voice as we all have been. You know, the podcasts, the rallies, all of that. So with so many people coming together and they still can't get the bigger picture of maybe we should really look into this. But they've waited so long that it's never going to be like straight up answers as if they would have started investigating right on spot. You know, one of the key witnesses to who Mystery Man is, is now gone. When I heard that, I hated it because I wanted to give her an answer so bad. Even when there was times where she wouldn't tell everybody where she was, there were still people who knew where she was. Like when she took off to Alabama, I knew where she was. They can say, oh, well, that's just an addict's thing as they just up and disappear Never once did she ever do that, though. But when the family's sitting here and telling you that, no, she just doesn't do this, then you need to listen. We can get more clarity and and confirmation about what Brittany was up to if we actually had full access to all of her text now messages, if we had full access to all of her Facebook messages, all that stuff. You know, if we had all that stuff, we might have some more answers. But it's the ones who choose to say, hey, we're going to hold this information and we're going to keep it to ourselves. And then we're also going to decide what we put out there. People who jump themselves right in, trying to, you know, do this and that. Well, that's that's a sign or not wanting to talk at all. You sit here and you are not supportive going to these rallies or being a part of it when that person was such a big part of your life, that's a huge red flag. Why would you not be out here wanting answers just as much? Even if you say you have nothing to do with it, there's still some questions that could be answered to help the case. What happened to that person who was willing and today the person who says, I give two fucks about it. I'm over it. Who's over it? You're over it? Because your kids will never be over it. Her family will never be over it. You're over it? They may be young now, but they're going to get older. They are going to do research, and they are going to see the person I called dad. It's still going to mess them up. There are, there, that question's always going to be there. And until they have an answer, it's never going to go away. You're going to blink, and it's going to be at your front doorstep. Whether you did something or you didn't, how you're treating their mother today and how you speak of her, a certain level of loyalty that you have to your child, to that parent, because they're an extension to that to your child. That's my son's mom, so I know if you, ultimately, if you hurt her, you hurt him. And like you said, now he, here he is today, taking on this role of being a dad to other kids. So don't act like you don't understand. Those kids will 
forever have to wonder and grieve a mom that they don't know at the same time because they were so young. She was a good mom. She was. We really appreciate everybody. The girl who does the chalk, I actually went up and thanked personally in person, and it felt really nice. I mean, I understand, you know, there's a lot of fans of true crime. There's people who just get so interested and entertained by true crime. And I am, I understand that. I do. But at the same time, this is real life. You know, when we last said goodbye, we didn't know that was our last goodbye to her. Seeing her face and her smile and hearing her laugh, we didn't know that. <laughs> And we never get that back. I really appreciate all of the support and people being so interested, but they need to keep in mind that we are reading what's posted. There is no side, there is no podcast side, there is no Team Ashley, Team Jess. It is whoever is being the voice and trying to get the justice for Brittany. That is what it is. You might not fully grasp this, but my investigation is driven by pure intentions. I care how the family feels. How the family perceives me matters deeply. Rest assured, I am committed to honoring them and their loved ones in every decision I make. Now, we turn to Greg for our closing segment. Thank you for all your constant support. Your unwavering encouragement is more powerful than you think. I couldn't do this without you. Until we meet again on Hide and Seek, stay vigilant, keep seeking, keep the bonfire burning. And I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Next time on Hide and Seek. Probably didn't like how last night's game ended, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I thought it. it was a damn good game, though. All right, bro. Well, I want to get uh, started on this because I, I definitely want to ask you some questions and just, uh, you know, dive into it. Has this journey of, of, I guess, in the last two years, was it what you expected? I, I didn't think it would get anywhere near the attention that, and then also, you know, I feel that we've gotten way more pushback on things than what I expected. I think that the important people were just thinking it's all a joke and not really wanting to look at anything or do anything. And your relationship with Auden, obviously you and I have had the chance to talk talk about it privately, but where are you at today with your communication with him today? I don't have a whole lot of communication with him. Um, he's promised me a lot of things, and he hasn't come through on any of them. And I don't know, it, it just seems like everything I want him to do, he just pushes back and doesn't want to do. As far as I'm concerned, this case has just been a whole flop. And I don't know. I believe there's a lot of corruption going on in the uh, police forces around here. Do you feel, do you strongly feel that? Yeah. 
just the obvious. It's been over five years now. I don't know. Like I said, I really haven't had any communication with Otten. He told me he was going to conduct a, a personal interview with Eric. To my knowledge, he still hasn't done that. You don't know if that was completed or not. Right. And I mean, there there was mention of having Eric do a polygraph. I don't know if that's been done. I mean, you, you can't force a person to do it. So I don't want to put blame on anybody. Sure. I mean, you don't know until there's proven facts, but the proper steps need to be completed to rule people out. I mean, I'm not saying Eric's guilty. I'm not saying Ashley's guilty. I'm not, I don't know who's guilty. I don't know if anybody did anything to him. Right. But, you know, it's the fact that there has been resources turned over to them and everything, and they don't want to follow up or take the free advice or anything that has been offered to them. They're just, they're ignoring it. And the point where I said Michigan State Police have it classified different than what St. Joe was. And Otten feels that the state police have it listed totally wrong. But I don't. I agree the state police have it listed right. I asked Greg if he'd be willing to share with me the text messages from Otten. All right, it started off... On November 6th, he texted me. He said, hey, Greg, just wanted to update you. I am still working on Brittany Gates diligently and should be finished with Western Michigan University's help by January. I also wanted to let you know that because we are short-staffed, I will be back on the road for the next six weeks. I will not be able to devote as much time on this case during the six weeks, but I will still do what I can in my free time until I return. Hope you are doing okay. Let me know if you have any questions. I texted him. I said, I have been waiting for five years now. The missing status of my daughter, Shank, with no results. It's time we push forward, upgrade her case, to homicide, which would allow us to have the resources to find her at the federal level and allow us to bring in the FBI. And then I told him, I said, Tad has offered to help for free. Please utilize and contact him. Please reach out to Tad. His response back says, Greg, I appreciate the information. To this point, there has been zero evidence or logical information to lead us to upgrading this to a homicide. The rumors and stories floating around are just that. They are started by individuals and drug community or by people that have no involvement. They would rather tell a horror story versus saying nothing. As soon as I uncover anything that makes us believe a homicide occurred, I will definitely make that change. But for now, it's still a missing person case. I will call Tad and have a conversation with him. You take care. To my knowledge, he has uh, not contacted Tad. So I sent him back a text. I said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Michigan State Police have her listed as a non-body homicide? And if so, why do you not? Auden replied back, They have it classified as a 
murder, non-negligent homicide. And believe me, I have asked the same question because of the confusion that it has created. He said when Michigan State Police was asked to assist, they pulled a complaint number under that file clash by mistake and it cannot be changed for them. Does that make sense to you? No. Okay. I text back, I said, oh, I said, thank you for clarification on the matter. He texts back, anytime, Greg, I'm truly here for you and everyone that cares for Brittany. I am not wearing blinders by any means. The second I find anything that is substantiated, I will enlist the help of whoever is needed to bring justice. He uses the word logical. For him to say it need, there needs to be logical sense, don't we have enough? Don't you think we have enough already to say she's not here? She's not returning. She's not speaking to any of the family members. She's not. There's no bank activity. We got. And when she had a pattern of social media activity every single day, contact with either my mom or her kids or one of the kids' parents. She always had contact with somebody every single day. All disappeared. And everybody say, well, she's hiding. Bullshit. Brittany was not the type of person that she could not drop communication with everybody. There's no way in hell she would ever drop communication with her kids. I am not going to be quiet anymore. I am tired of their Barney and Fife police station and their cover-ups and I, yeah. I I want this case out of St. Joe County Sheriff's Department's hands. I mean, you know the story. I, I've talked to you. Until Tuesday, July 12th of 2022, he says, Hi, Greg, I spoke to James last night and he mentioned that you're dealing with some health issues. I'm sorry to hear that. I would still like to meet with you at some point. For now, I have a couple forms that I need to complete, one of which is a medical release form from Brittany's dental records. The state is requesting the record be entered into the database. This is not until 2022. All this stuff is being entered in the database which should have been done first. I believe gave him the dental records to begin with. You know, do the interview with uh, Eric and stuff. So that was July of 2022. He told me he was going to, and you said you met him in when, October? Yeah, that was October 2022. And he told you he wasn't going to. Yeah. He flat out lied to me. I come across another text here where I had contacted him February 23rd of uh, 2023. He says, hey, Greg, it looks like an interview was done with Eric in 2019. Wasn't very in-depth. I will add him to my list of things to get done. Thanks. So it took him that long. He never got back to me whether Eric had been interviewed or not. So I had had to get back a hold of him and he finally told me that you know there was that he was talked to it wasn't an official interview so he was gonna you know get an official interview when did he say that to you that was february 2023 yeah 
And then I asked him another thing I forgot to mention is that the fact that Ashley had Brittany's gas station receipt from the night he went missing. And, you know, why does she have it? And he said, that's what I have heard as well. That is something that will have to be found out. Huh? That's what he said? Is that verbatim what he says? Yeah. He said, hi, Greg, hope all is well. Just wanted to reach out and give you an update on Brittany's case. Since the last time we spoke, there has been searches, three polygraphs, numerous interviews, a forensic sketch-based James Yoder description, assistance from analysts from Michigan State Police. I have partnered with Western Michigan University's cold case program, and and all digital evidence has been sent to Michigan State Police for analysis. I wonder who the, he said three polygraphs. I'm interested in knowing who the three polygraphs have been, but that's, okay, he interviewed, that, that Eric was spoke, spoken to, that they talked to him, but it wasn't very thorough back in 20, uh, 2019. What that tells me is that there was a brief maybe phone call or an attempt or, you know, maybe they talked on the phone, but you guys didn't actually interview him. That's what I might take away. And then again, what he had told me was, when I originally pointed out to him, hey, Eric wasn't interviewed, at least can you go confirm? He said, oh yeah, it wasn't followed up on. And I was like, so he wasn't interviewed? He goes, no. For as much as they continue to talk about all these rabbit trails that they don't want to go down, they're not looking at the obvious spots that you're supposed to though, to counter that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 just, I just wish that, I just wish I was like, had the power to curse somebody or something, you know, I I put a curse on them to where they had to walk in my shoes for a day, you know, and they might actually get something done. Sorry, I'm getting cooped up No, you're you're fine, brother. The community around you in your entire area, like, they are listening. Yep. You know, I've been amazed. This community has already done so much. I mean, I try to stay away from most of it because... You know, I have a hard enough time just just getting through every day. But my wife does fill me in on, you know, all the stuff that Jackie Milliman is doing. Um, lady's name that does all the talk writing and stuff. That's I love Allie. that. That's just amazing. Yeah, Allie. Yeah. Makes me feel great. I mean, it makes me, you know, it makes me feel that the community is saying the same thing. I got a, I got a couple amazing neighbors here that help me out and try to keep me lifted. And yeah. A candle on Brittany's anniversary night, and we lit it above her banner here on the deck. And I spend as much time on my deck by her banner and, you know it's 30 degrees I'm out here just sitting in my chair staring up the road waiting for her to come walking down the road I'm really happy to hear that you also recently you told me about your time with Brittany's kids yep you got time to spend time with them and, and if you don't want this to, to be on record that's totally fine I know that that was hard for you, but that you that you went because that's an emotional pain, and I understand that that that's that was very challenging. But you got to see those kids, and can you share a little bit what that was like? 
I'm really glad that I got to meet him, but you know, I was afraid to deal with all the pain that it was gonna cause, which it did. But you know, I got through it. And because like you said, I always keep your advice in the back of my mind, one step at a time. That's what I did. I got through it, and I'm really glad that you know I got to got to meet them and got to spend time with them, and that we have communication with them now. And I'm really glad that I'm in their lives again. You know, after I got to meet everybody, to take a lot of worry off my mind on what type of a family did. Did they get adopted into and stuff, you know? All four kids got adopted into two amazing families. They they are wonderful people. You know, if you could share and say anything to the supporters, what would you say to them? Well, I wanna, I, you know, I'd like to thank them all for all their support and, you know, the rallies and stuff that they've held and to bring attention to the media and stuff, because, you know, the police force hasn't really contacted the media and say, hey, you put this out on the air, let people know, you know, she's missing. And mm-hmm. So if it wouldn't have been for, you know, the supporters and people posting all the stuff and posting all the flyers, I mean, like you said, from where we started to where it's at now, the, the people that we've reached, it's amazing. All the time you guys have spent and sacrificed, and, you know, for her, it's amazing. Would you like to show your support for the Hide and Seek podcast? Find our Instagram and Facebook page by searching Hide and Seek Podcast. Like and follow to hear updates on past seasons as they become available and stay up to date on season three. Find our discussion group by searching Hide and Seek Discussion Group on Facebook. The Hide and Seek Podcast is hosted, directed, edited, and produced by James Basinger. Written, edited, and produced by Sarah Joe. Engineered, mixed, and mastered by Nudon's Audio Engineering. Director of Photography is Ethan Schatz. Our graphic design is created by Jordan Robinson. A special thanks to all those involved in our ground team and to our Patreon supporters. Thank you for helping make our investigations possible.